Country Podcast Edition. I've always been around great songwriters and artists my whole life. I'm Michael Knox. Welcome to my world. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Jason Aldean, and you are listening to my boy Michael Knox on Knox Country Podcast. Welcome to the Knox Country Syndicated Radio Show Podcast. We are here with Rodney Clawson, um, probably one of my Otis songwriting friends that I, I have in town and probably my first songwriter crush in town. I, I, every time he wrote songs, I would always rush and go listen to him. Am I reading this right? You won the CMA Triple Play Award a total of six times. This award is presented to a songwriter who penned three number one singles in a 12-month period. You won that six times. I think that's right. I think I have six of them at home. That, that's <laughs> nuts, dude. That's crazy. Well, there, what's this double CMA Triple Play? That means he did it twice in one year. Ashley Gorley surpassed that. He's done it three in a year a couple times. So. Lord, but that's crazy, dude. Yeah, no, it's you know, it's something you think you you don't ever expect to do. I remember one of my good songwriting buddies, Billy Montana, was up in uh, um, Colorado writing with Mark D. Sanders, and he had triple play awards on the wall behind him. I don't know what they look like back then. Now they're like a clear kind of crystal plaque or like a statue thing. And uh, he said, oh, man, you won a triple play award. And he said, yeah. He said, I won that one. And then he moved, and there were two or three more behind him <laughs> on the other side. And, he said, and we were talking about, like, what would it be like to win a triple play award? Oh, my gosh. And then to actually do it, you know, it's like those things you don't ever expect to happen, you know. But, dude, to get in a role like that, to get into that that consistency that you did is 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 very – Rare. I mean, I, I've been around for 25 years, and I haven't seen it but a couple of times, you know. And that's that's crazy. Dude. I, I, I'm just sitting here just telling you that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I don't know any it. other way to talk to you about that. But <laughs> but when I mean, 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 you go back all the way back to, um, uh, at, you know, if we if we talk about my introduction to you was with Amarillo Sky. You know, I heard it off the McBride and the Ride cassette. <laughs> back in the day that's yeah. where we heard it and then we and yeah. then we pulled it off and cut it on jason but then why was our first number one which you wrote my first number one as a producer it wasn't yeah, that your was, first number one that was my first number one. see yeah yeah but then he had this george Strait thing right after which <gasps> which won all kinds of crap and i was like my first number one with him wasn't special anymore it was kind of like <laughs> hey every, everywhere he went it was like george Strait is great george Strait, and i'm like what about us what about us well no those all those cuts back then were all really special because they were some of the very first cuts i ever got yeah I think the <clears throat> McBride and the Ride cut of Amarillo Sky was the first country cut I ever got. And Jason's cut of it would have maybe been the third or fourth or fifth cut of that I ever song. Got. I mean, but that song was cut a few times. That was, a, I think it only got cut twice. Yeah, because that was stunning to me, you know, because when we heard it on Terry and them, it was really cool, you know, and we were like, wow, they're not going to single this. You know, but that was part of their last kind of deal there at, mm-hmm. at MCA, I think. But, but dude, man, me and you go back a long ways. I'm, I'm probably, you were, you were the staple of what we looked for to start Jason. It was you, David Lee Murphy. You know, at the very beginning, that's where, and then John Rich. Those are the three mm-hmm. writers we went and went after. But, but you were such the one I clicked with the most. You know, I was like, man, I love, I love your melodies and 
writing and that kind of fit Jason so great, man. So we wore you out there for we're still wearing you out but we wore you out really good the first well not on this record yeah not on, yeah, the, well, on previous records yeah on previous records well well you you started getting too many cuts we had to we had to take a break you, you know to call it back i understand how that goes you know so but no nah, that was man that, that's pretty cool because you were like john rich's produce i mean uh publisher publisher yeah yeah i signed john during that time too i signed him when when he when he left lone star yeah, and I signed him over there, and then that's kind of how I got introduced to you because mm-hmm. I kept seeing your name on songs, and then Michael Martin and those guys uh, came to Warner Chapel to start a venture, and you were their writer, mm-hmm. so I I approved to fund that as well with Whipperman, and then that's where we got introduced. But I I was trying to sign you, and then they brought you in. I don't know if you know that with uh, Vicky McGee brought it up, and because I had signed her. And and I said, man, I love this Rodney guy. And then they go, well, he's writing with for Michael Martin and Dubois Company, and I was and we couldn't compete. Yeah. So I I felt like we got it anyway. So yeah. But dude, it me, all worked me, out. me you go back to the beginning of of my whole music experience. <laughs> Almost twenty years now. Yes. Yeah. And um, you know, so I, I'm probably your biggest producer fan in town so that's all i can tell you so but I, i'm reading over everything and, and we all start and we, we try to start the show by bragging on the writer and i and i and i'm sitting here going man i don't this would be the whole 30 minutes mm-hmm. like re, reading mm-hmm. your resume but um but i do want to talk about i saw god today because that was that was a very strong song you know, and and that was your first what song of the year is that right and it was i've, I've never actually won a songwriter song of the year in any organization but that one single of the year yeah cma single of the year so that so. goes to the producer and artist right that's the award i like <laughs> yeah that's that's the michael Mons <laughs> that's, that's the award i like to win is that one is you know but yeah. um but dude, I, I remember but that but that hung number one um I mean, um, wasn't it more than one week? I mean, that, that well, that was, was his record breaking number one too. Right, it was his fifty sixth. Yeah, it broke. It broke some like Elvis or Michael Jackson or somebody's mm-hmm. record of it was insane number ones. But he, uh, yeah, that was a big cut for me being from Texas. Is I, you know, to have a George Strait cut. I mean, I grew up listening to George Strait, and he became. He had his first hits when I was like in high school, and everybody in my hometown listened to George Strait. All the, I mean, from high school kids up to like fifty year olds. I mean, it was. But a, what part of Texas were you from? I grew up in uh, North in a little farm town north of Amarillo called Groover. And I, the way I tell people here in Nashville, if you get on I forty and you drive nine hundred miles west, you'll hit Amarillo. And if you go 90 miles north, my hometown is right at the top of the panhandle, a little farm town, about 1,200 people. Yeah. So. Because my dad was born in Happy, Texas. No, I know right where that is. Yeah, yeah. It's right south of Amarillo, like 20 miles, 30 miles. The only sign there is, now you're leaving Happy, Texas. (laughs) There is no sign of you are entering Mm -hmm. Happy, Texas. There's only 300-something people. And there's been a movie called Happy, Texas. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I don't think that was about Happy, Texas. I don't don't know. I don't know, but... (laughs) But um, but man, uh, talking about some of your stuff, I mean, you've had a run of hits with a lot of different people, you know. But but drunk on you, Luke Bryan. I mean, to me, I mean, uh, that's probably one of his biggest songs he's he's ever had too, you know. And was that something with, with that with that with that you were writing with Luke, or is that something you were writing for no, Luke? No, I've had I've had three uh, I've had three number ones on Luke. Uh, 
Drunk on You, Crash My Party, and Fast. And we wrote Fast with Luke. And uh, Crash My Party and Drunk on You were outside songs. But it was that was actually a, a really big cut to get at that time for me because Luke had never cut any outside songs. And his producer, Jeff Stevens, was at the time just like, trying to talk him into you know just like just a couple two or three songs a record like let's just find some of these other songs out there and put them on the record and that was one of just a couple of two or three songs on that record that were outside songs and we got got to single it got singled and and ended up being a number one but that was a that was a big deal for me to get that cut and then another one of my one of my favorites you know uh, by jake owen is uh, barefoot blue jean night I mean, um, I didn't write that though. You, you produced that, I was right? a producer. Yeah, you okay? That well, that's awesome. <laughs> I, I I didn't know that. I was so, your competitor on that. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> do I, you okay, still like I it? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, but that's but but that was but that was that you and Joey that produced that was that? Joey and I. That was kind of a, a a weird thing that happened where um, Jake we had met Joey and we liked Joey and we knew he wanted to kind of start dabbling in country stuff because the nickelback thing was kind of he was kind of done with that and he was yeah. just looking for another thing to do and jake had cut a song of mine with tony brown and they didn't like how it turned out and so i told jake i said well hey this guy that used to he's produced nickelback stuff like let let me go in the studio with him and we'll cut this song recut this song on you and see how it turns out. And we did that, and then RCA wanted us to uh, finish the record out, and we ended up um, we ended up cutting. Let's see, Barefoot Blue Jean Night, and then um, we had four number ones on that yeah. record. Whatever. Well, how, how was that coming from a producer and not a songwriter? Because at that time you were at a pretty high level songwriting. You know, you were getting mm-hmm. a lot of cuts as a songwriter. Yeah. Was that hard to listen to songs? And and think you couldn't beat it, or 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 things that bugged you about a song, and you wanted to fix it, or anything like that. You know what? I I honestly didn't enjoy the process, and it made me just want to go back and be a songwriter because yeah. just sitting in the studio editing vocal or doing vocals on somebody, and then it having to edit vocals and all that. It's just so tedious, and the whole time I'm thinking like. I could have written a hit song this, during the time <laughs> while I was sitting down here. It was very, it was actually very um, educational for me to know what you guys go through. Well, like when when I send you a song that I think is a smash, and you go like, "Well, that's not. We don't need that. We already got that." Or yeah. I love this, but it's not right for this record. It made me understand that because I had to go through that process during that time. Because I, I I had a lot of great songs sent to me by a lot of people. And some of them ended up being hits on other people that we ended up passing on and not cutting. Yeah. But uh, it made me understand what you guys go through, you know. And it made me feel, it made me feel a lot better about some of my songs getting passed on. <laughs> now, you know, because I understood yeah. the process. It's just it's got to be the right song for the right artist at the right time. Hey guys, it's Rodney Kloss and you're listening to Knox Country Podcast. Yeah, but I mean, but just just looking over your list, man, I mean, the types of songs you write, man, what I've always counted on you for was that little bit of left to center. 
but it's still right down the middle. I don't know how to explain it, but when I hear it, we're always like, man, we need that thing that's out of the box but works commercially. Mm -hmm. And that's where we uh, like the burning it down, Mm -hmm. you know, like things like that. And I'm looking over a list of other things and American Kids, you know, Bartender, Lady A. I mean, I mean, these are things that are really different. And then you got Take a Little Ride, which is a big part of who you are, Mm -hmm. you know, all all the way to the Jason stuff like Johnny Cash and why. I mean, you know, you write a lot of different kind of things, but melody wise, they're all kind of kind of you, you know. And um, when you're in the writing rooms, man, is is that kind of what you're bringing to the table that 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 kind of energy or are you more feeding off the room? I feel like I'm pr- a pretty good uh, chameleon, you know. Or I don't, I don't know if that's the right word to use in the room. I'm the, I can be whoever I need to be in the room. I feel like I write with a lot of guys that they come in. You got to write their idea and with their melody, or they can't write. Like they can't participate in the process because yeah. they just aren't wired to do that. And I feel like I can. I can lead, I can have the idea, I can set the melodies, I can come up with the chord, I can do whatever I need, I can be whoever I need to be in the room that day, and I think that's been a a big part of my success, you know, and I can take the reins and lead the charge, or I can sit back if somebody else, you know, is leading it leading us what i think is down the right road i can sit back and just try to fill in the blanks you well, know? where have you had your biggest success when you were leading or when you were kind of kind of following what it's the room it's well, you a know. mishmash of a lot of different you know all the i would say it's probably equal all the way across the board you know yeah i brought I, my first hit i had on radio i feel like first top 10 of sweet southern comfort like I had that idea and that melody and that a, a few of the lines when I came to town. I had my first top twenty. I can't be your friend. I had that song a big a chunk of that written when I came to town. Yeah, you know? but that's hard to do these days because I back I was coming back and forth from Texas, so I would <laughs> I'd come to town with you know a few half written songs to throw out to people, but. Um, well, I like um, and and you've had a good run with FGL, you know some of those uh, some of those singles. You know, Round Here is one that I re- I really liked from them. You know, that that was one that when we heard it, we wished we could have heard that too. Mm-hmm. You know, but it was written with them, I guess. Is it? no, we re- that's a, a not, kind of an odd story. We wrote that with Thomas Rhett. Yeah, and Thomas Rhett didn't cut it. So well, he's had a few of those because. We cut some things. Of, I think I, I think I cut his first song, Thomas mm-hmm. Rhett's first song, with Jaron Boyer, and um, um, I ain't ready to quit or something like that. You know, back on the My Kind of Party record, yeah. and that's when I met Thomas. Mm-hmm. You know, and then they came in and and you know I, we played him the cut, and that's the first time I ever met him. Rhett called me, said, "Man, can my son come over and hear his cut?" <laughs> and I remember calling it and, and hooking that up. You know, so yeah. were y'all writing for his record, and then it just we ended were. up. Yeah, we wrote quite a bit with Thomas Rhett back then. Um, for his first record and it was Chris Tompkins and Thomas Rhett and I wrote the song and then he didn't cut the song on his first record and FGL got a record deal and Seth called him up and said hey we're going to cut this on FGL so Thomas Rhett ended up getting a FGL number one so. yeah yeah alright now now I'm finding out cool things about you I didn't know you had like a boating team 
or, or <laughs> boating team. Or, or, no, you know, I just I, bat, I I fish bass tournaments kind of at a you know mid. It's probably like if it were baseball, it'd be like the double A, triple A level. So have you won tournaments? Oh yeah, you know, I I'm average winning maybe probably one a year i fish 10 or 12 a year so you like wear the so nascar i do i've jumpsuit got, I've got the nascar <laughs> jersey my boat looks like a nascar it's big green egg has sponsored me for six or seven years now so so what if do you, you do see you? a big green egg boat going up and down the interstate <laughs> it's my boat because i'm the only guy in the u.s that they sponsor so that's uh, awesome so did they do that because of your uh, affiliation with songwriting kind of because i i uh, a buddy of mine a buddy of mine had a spot had a big green egg sponsorship and i met them through him he he was uh he fished uh flw and bass masters elite series which is the highest level of bat that's nascar of bass fishing the highest level What's the highest level of NASCAR? What would you call uh, it? Well, that's the Monster Energy. There you, you know, go. The main so whatever guys. that tour is, yeah. that's what Bassmaster Elite Series is. But he ended up, I think they ended up dropping him, but they kept me on. Because I'm kind of, I mean, they just pay my entry fees. And then if they have, they have like cook-offs around the country. And they'll call me and say like, hey, we find a couple of songwriters to come out and play this cook-off. And it's it's a pretty good gig for these young guys that I think Jaron Boyer's been down there and yep. done it, but they they uh, they got to play for three or four hours and they give them a big green egg to take home. That's and awesome. They, they give them a hotel room and stuff, and I think they get to you know free beer all day or whatever. But those big green eggs are like, I mean, with all the you know table to sit them in and all that, like a thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I got so, one at home. We've 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 spread a few of them around town that way. So, <laughs> now, do you think if you weren't songwriting, could you see yourself doing that for a living? Would you want to be a pro fisherman? Um, if you could make a, a living, actually, you, you know, it's actually a hard way to make a living because a lot of those guys who are professionals at the top level are just barely squeaking by. There's maybe. There's maybe 30 guys on each tour that are actually making decent money. So it's it's a hard living and you're gone a lot. I mean, I honestly I fish about as much as I as I want to cuz I I mean, I'll go to the lake, you know, and I'll be there for 3 days and then I'm ready to come home. Those guys are they fit pre-fish three days, fish four-day tournament, go to the next lake, and it's just like constant. And they're they're gone all the time. They're fishing all the time. So, so it would probably turn it probably start feeling like a job, and then I wouldn't want to do it. So, mm-hmm. but but when you're at the tournament and they introduce you, do you have a group of people that follow you and don't know you're a songwriter? <laughs> you no, they, I think they all know I'm a songwriter by now. So. I've I mean, been but asked that's the business. Like Rodney Clausen, he caught a eight-pound bass. <laughs> and then he wrote bartender this weekend you know i mean you know so you know yeah they pretty much know now but they, it's pretty cool because it's kind of like you know nashville if you're out at a restaurant and you see jason aldean or keith urban and his wife or whatever people like to leave them alone for the yeah. most part and these guys out there are the same way they're pretty you know they don't bug me about it too yeah. much so but that's awesome dude i mean yeah. you, you get a, you get like a discounted bass pro shop and stuff or no i i actually have quite a few sponsorships where i get stuff for like half price and that's cool i get or i get x amount of dollars worth of uh product a year so what kind of boat is that what do you got i got a 21 foot triton 
So TRX, Clark Marine is my sponsor. I have a Triton team deal. So. But you're not allowed to have like the big speakers and stuff out there. And like, I could, I could put those on my boat if I wanted to. <laughs> but the fish can hear that. Though. Yeah, no, 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 I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> they would be running from me. Knox Country Podcast Edition. <laughs> Some of you know me as a record producer for acts like Jason Aldean and Thomas Rhett. Others know me as the son of rock and roll legend Buddy Knox, party doll fame, back in 1957. I'm Michael Knox. Welcome to my world. You're listening to Knox Country. Hey, this is Keith Urban. What's up, y'all? It's your boys here, Florida Georgia Line. Hey, this is Little Big Town. And you're listening to Knox Country. You've entered Knox Country. Welcome back to the Knox Country Podcast. All right, all right, all right. Back, back to songwriting. Sorry. Um, so, uh, you know, what songs, I, I know these are common questions, man, but but what songs are big highlights to you? You know, I mean, I mean, which ones really hit a spot where you were like, ah, man, I'm going to the next level. This is great. I know, I, I know the earlier stuff, you know, like I saw God as an obvious one, but I mean, are there things later when you were in your zone getting these triple play awards and stuff where you did something in the middle of that and you were like, God, man, that, you know, that really fueled me. Um, well, obviously early on, there's, there's few songs I feel like are the really hard ones to write or not. On the day you write them, they're not hard to write. Some of these songs only took like an hour or two to write. It just happened on that day. But then that song, when you go back and look at it, or even like when you write it, you realize like this is one of those special songs. It's one of those outlier kind of songs. It's not like all the other ones. And I felt like um, Sweet Southern Comfort, my very first hit I ever had, was one of those. Amarillo Sky was always that. I could still play that out at 20 years later let's play that out and it doesn't sound like anything else that anybody else ever plays yeah and it's just and it doesn't really sound like anything else that i've ever really written either um well today when he plays it in his show dude it's like a current yeah it, it, it responds like a current and it's still and now listening back to the recording i'm like god didn't we have like reverb Mm-hmm. You know, did, couldn't we have put anything else on this on this recording to liven it up? Because nowadays <laughs> everything sounded so good at the time. Yeah, though, everything's man. so jacked up right now. You know, well, you know, we're now we're all used to hearing everything hyper tuned and timed and all that. But um, and and that song too. Like we can talk about this. That song wasn't supposed to be a single. Yeah, you guys wanted to single another song well which, um, ben, benny wanted to single um you're, you're the love i want to be in yeah and i remember them calling me at a um casino down in mississippi he called me and he was like hey you know brad uh, the guys at the label called and said man you got to call benny he wants to go with another song and i remember calling benny talking to him for 30 minutes about that song you mm-hmm. know because that's what jason wanted that's what we wanted and that's what promotion wanted and it, it was a, it was a good game changer for him you know, yeah. even though Y went number one, um, uh, you know, uh, Amarillo Sky was the quality. It gave him a lot of quality. Well, I mean, and no offense, like me looking at it from the outside, it the lifestyle that you depicted in the song, you know, the mm-hmm. farming and, and that that um, that lifestyle, you made it youthful. You made it very appealing. And, and I don't know if that was with the video as well, the way it tied in, mm-hmm. but it was like you, you got a, a respect for that way of living that maybe you didn't really think about before being young. Well, that you know, was the beginning of it was cool to yeah, be country. Yeah. 
that was the beginning of that. It was cool to wear the John Deere hat. It was mm-hmm. cool to be a country kid again. Mm-hmm. And that was the beginning of all that was Amarillo Scott. Mm-hmm. And because um, I remember that and the video touched on that really nice. Yeah. And that was a great video too. Didn't you go mm-hmm. up to somewhere in Indiana or Illinois and on a farm up there? Yeah, he just filmed B row there, and they found the barn here in town. Oh yeah, okay. You know where they where they filmed that out of, but um, but all that was new teams, man. That, every all of us were new. Mm-hmm. You know, we were all trying to pay pay rent. Oh yeah, yeah. But I mean, what, what other tunes kind of moved that needle well, later back, on? Back to you know the obviously I saw God today. It's another one of those songs about like. I mean, writing a song about having a, you know, having a baby with your wife, that's such an odd subject matter, but it ended up, and then somebody like a tough cowboy guy from Texas cuts it. That's so, all of it's so outside the box, but you know, it's just, that's another one of those songs that was an outlier to me. And then um, American Kids is probably the, probably the most recent one that, that um it's just the groove of it so outside the box and the subject matter but you know all that stuff and that's uh, all these songs it's you write what you know yeah and i've you know been blessed to live enough life to know how to write those songs and i mean in american kids you know yellow dog school bus picking you up by barbed wire fence that was me <laughs> that was my that was one of my lines in that song and i went out i walked out of my house in about 50 yards and i had to walk down to a spot where the bus could turn around and go back down the dirt road and it was standing there by a barbed wire fence waiting on the bus every morning you know so um but yeah american kids was one of those songs too that i felt like was just different yeah and and kind of had an unusual groove and a little bit of an unusual you know have you had a lot of have you had a lot of kenny chesney interaction i mean i actually had um well that's that song and then i had the next single till it's gone that i wrote with david lee murphy so i had back to back on him and um had a run a little you know had a run of chesney stuff there but um, is that how you uh, do you see that happening a lot with, with you with pockets yeah it's it's kind of like jason's been jason and florida georgia line have been probably my two most consistent artists that i've had um success with and then i had i had a little run with mcgraw over a couple of records and then i had a little run with chesney over a couple of records and is that is that just, just out of coincidence like, or is that or is that out of relationship just I, I think they figure out who you know they start hearing your stuff and then they it sounds it's different to them it's new to them and they it's fresh to their ear and they like it and they cut a few of them and then i actually had back-to-back singles on mcgraw i had um one of those nights and southern girls were back-to-back singles so well man your your path to nashville was pretty pretty long i mean you were traveling back and forth a lot back in the Mm -hmm. day if i remember correctly and and um i mean you know today it seems like things happen a little easier for people you know they they get the publishing deal they come in and they complain mm. if, if if the water's not in the in the refrigerator or something. But but you're I, I remembered you doing weren't you driving? Yeah, I uh, I actually didn't start writing songs till probably my late twenties, and I probably my first trip to Nashville was probably I think ninety six, and by 
by 99, I'd written enough and hung out with enough people as like, I think if I come to Nashville once a month, like one week a month and just write, I can get a publishing deal. In December of that year, I had two different companies call me to give me a publish, wanting to give me a publishing deal. So you weren't doing anything back at home, like playing. I was, I was far, I was farming with my dad, and I, I grew up in a dry county. I mean, I never, I never played in bars. I never tried to be an artist. You know, I just, you know, kind of wrote songs at home. You still in live in a, you still live in a dry county. No, no, no. Thank goodness, huh? <laughs> Is Davidson County yeah. <clears throat> But that's interesting. I mean, because what were you you were what were you doing in high school? I mean, were you just I mean I was just like a normal kid. I was in you know, small town, you do everything. I was in band and choir, but I played every sport. I played for, uh college football for a year. Um and then went back home and started farming and were you playing instruments in high school? Yeah. Yeah, I played, uh, I grew up playing piano, and then I learned how to play guitar. Um, I bet you can never guess my high school band instrument, though. Flute? No, not flute. <laughs> Trumpet? No. Well, uh, oboe. Oboe. Really? Uh, oboe. So what made that? Really? It was just nobody else could play it? I'm, I could, I mean, I, I, I won, like, piano, I mean, you don't when you went to piano competition, you didn't really win. You got like ratings. Like I did, mm-hmm. I did good. I was pretty good at that stuff. And so I, as like a seventh grader coming into band, like I could read music and all that. So that they said, well, here, here's a pretty hard instrument to play here. Try this. Yeah. Yeah. And so I actually got offered college scholarships to go play oboe and really? college orchestras. That's the man awesome. who wrote. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I seriously, wow. I 24 played, number ones play I oboe. I played it since I was 18, so that was a long time So on the, time next, ago. On the next record I, I produce, can I get you to play some oboe? I could probably come in and I could probably... I'll grab my flute and we can do a little duet. back up, we could. Come on. Hey guys, it's Shalacy. Check us out on the web at KnoxCountry360.com or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at KnoxCountry360. But yeah, I did all that. And then um, when I figured out I could write songs, started coming. I, what's funny is people that, that people had no idea that I didn't live in Nashville because they would see me like once a month. Well, there's people that I probably, I probably hadn't seen you in three or four mm-hmm. months. Yep. You know? Yep. So you could have been in Texas this whole time or whatever, but it's like people had no idea I didn't live here. Yeah. So I would show up and write for, I would write for a week and then I would go in the studio on Friday night or Saturday before I left and I would demo the songs and then I'd go back to Texas and farm. Yeah. And I did that from, with a publishing deal, I did that from 2000 to the middle of like 2005. Yeah, but now, but but now your your vocals are what stood out a lot on the demos, and that was never a path that you wanted to take, artist wise. No, man, I've I don't know, I've I've never had the desire to get up or just. I, it feels like you know these guys that want to be artists. It's almost like you have to sell your soul to the devil to do it. You know, I mean, you got to be willing to do anything. Yeah, not anything anything but you got to be willing to 
take it to the limit. Yeah, you got to give up a lot. You got to give up a lot to do it. And I never had that desire to do it that bad. And I knew you had to. So I was in, and I and I had success with the songwriting pretty early. I wrote Emerald Sky the first year out of publishing deal. Yeah, and another song called um, "Do You Wish It Was Me." Yeah, that you guys cut. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I but that also having, got cut on the guy from Nashville Star, one of the winners of Nashville Star. Cut. Do you wish it was me? Because oh, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where we heard it. Yeah. Too, and we were like, "No, we we got that," you know. And then, <laughs> and we kept saying, "Play us that other demo." And he had cut it first. Most people forget that Miranda got yeah mm-hmm. second or third that mm-hmm. season. Yeah, she got like third. That she year. was so smart like, enough not to sign the record deal, though. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the uh, now now uh, coming forward now, you're you're married, and your wife is writing some hit songs too. Oh yeah, she's killing it right now. I mean, but she got on a big run. Wasn't she songwriter of the year or something like that? No, not she. She, she, uh, I mean, she's got three songs in the top 15 right now. Um, she's on a, she's on a really good run right now. She hasn't won. She has, no, she's won song of the year. That's what it was. Um, BMI, with, is that right? With, uh, where's she at BMI or, or is she at ASCAP? She's a BMI. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. She, she won, uh, ACM, uh, song of the year with automatic yeah. and i think it was also in a nsai song of the year so shout out who's who's your wife nicole gallion there you go yeah so uh, at home she's nicole clausen but when she goes out to write <laughs> she's nicole gallion so how do you feel about that is that a is that a hyphen just, no we, we kind of <laughs> planned all that out because she when she got when she started songwriting she got her first publishing deal in uh 2008 with warner chapel yep i remember all that and um we kind of planned it out, kind of just schemed it out to where, like, okay, we're not really going to write together because if you, if we get a cut and have a hit or whatever, nobody will give you credit for it. But she like was every, in town writing before then a lot too. Um, I, she got she got a publishing deal within a couple of years of starting to write. Yeah, now that was very smart, and I think that was very smart, you know, for her mm-hmm. for her career. Yeah, yeah, no, and it, it it's it's been a long road, but now she has her own brand. Like nobody, she has you know her. My name's not on the song. It's Nicole Gallion, but not one person has ever thought like, oh, she got that cut because she's That's Rodney Clausen's awesome. wife or yeah. whatever. She has her own brand, and she just resigned to with Warner Chapel. Uh, for you know another three or four year run and now do y'all guys write together now at all we we've started to write a little bit we got a cut on uh, luke Bryan's brand new record that's out right now a song called win life Mm -hmm. and uh we're starting to kind of will she let you write with her now (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm asking i I have to like call her publisher to try to get on her books now she uh no she's doing great and it all it's you know it was a long road but but um now she has a career mm-hmm. that's probably going to last for a long time because she's uh, she's had three number ones and yeah. she's fixing to have 
maybe four five and six yeah i mean so, well i mean i i i, I want to bug her to get on the show here yeah you just need to have her on she yeah will. i mean oh, we will i mean we'll definitely bug her he'll can't be either, talk about me but. he'll be either her he'll be either her rejecting <laughs> rejecting us or not but no, and then we'll definitely talk about here. you she, and that's her thing too she's done several podcasts and she if you her instagram that people are always talking about it and stuff like i'm the I'm the guy that doesn't do this much. So. Well, I, mean, I think it'd be a good inspiration for female songwriters, too. You know? To <laughs> it say, would hey. be. So now, your son now is writing in town. Right. Is, it, my, it, is that kind of weird, bumping into him in your writing circles? It is. It's a little, it's a little weird. And I've kind of started to figure out. And my, my daughter, Sydney, does a lot of uh, art, like paintings and stuff. Like, I've had artists reach out to me for her to do paintings for their businesses and stuff that's awesome and uh so now that people know my know my daughter sydney and my son brad it makes me look really old because they're like because <laughs> they're 30 and 27 and they're like oh my god how old is rodney you you're know? like so, i was 12 <laughs> But I think the perception is I really do. I think people like look at me now, and it makes you know in my mind or in their minds is like he's he's older than we thought he was. So, which but, I mean, hell, I've been around here for twenty years, so I got to be pretty old. So. But I've ran across your son a couple of times writing, man, and he's got a thing about him too. I mean, he's, yeah, he's he, doing great. He's got the Morgan Wallen Up Down song that's in the top ten right now, yep. and and he's a, you know, he's a, he grew up on a farm in Texas and drove a tractor and all that. So he's that's his favorite thing. The favorite thing for me that he's doing right now is he's is he's working hard at it. And yeah. he's doing all the right things. He's writing once and twice a day, five days a week. He's I gave him my Pro Tools rig. He Three or four years ago, he said, Dad, I don't think I want to try to be a songwriter. And he had some really old Pro Tools rig that Mark Bright had given him because he, he's friends with Mark Bright. And so for either Christmas or his birthday, I got him auto-tune. And that rig was so old that the auto-tune wouldn't work on it, whatever the auto-tune program is. And so I had like a rig up in my office on a, la- a laptop rig that was like Pro Tools 10 or something. And uh, I said, just go up there and get it and take it. Because I I, would be, I was trying to figure out how to do my own vocals and stuff for demos just to save time and all that. Yeah, I said, just go up to my office and grab that and take it and go to town. And he did. Like he does, he does his own he's not technically a track guy but he can do that yeah you know if does he play a lot if he needs to see, he plays guitar and so how and is he that sings uh, them too he has his it's like my voice but like a lot higher more tenor version of my voice but but anyway he's working really hard at it and doing everything right so so how how is that with you now when you're writing you know uh, something that's always brought up when we're talking with people is how the new generation writes you know they're a little more add about how they write they're a little they got to have a lot of people in the room sometimes or or they have you know it's always a three-way you know it's not a co-write that much anymore you know mm-hmm. do, do you find that different for you or do you find that being uh, something that it's easily that you adapt to pretty quick I mean, because a lot of a lot of the old stuff was co-writes with no track guy, and yeah. now and now it's it's like this track guy with two or three people in the room mm-hmm. too. Yeah, I mean, I've had to I've had to adapt to that. You know, I mean, we went from 
I mean, honestly, you know, five, six, seven years ago, it's like, why would we give away like third of a song to some guy that, you know, is not going to contribute? Because we can go in and demo it. But, you know, the sound that people want to hear now and artists want to hear, it seems to be like that, whatever the track guy sound is. And they're all different. You know, they're all every guy. I write with several of them and they all have a signature thing. And some of them. Some of them can turn around and pick up guitar and write just as good as, you know, we can as far as lyrics and melody and all that go. And some of them just work on the track and that's all they do. And it, get, I mean, it runs the whole gamut of what you could think of. But it's that's the deal now, you know. And I've been, I was one of the guys that had to adapt to that. But I still, you know, like David Lee Murphy and I. Uh, wrote the other day just he and i and guitars and you know we still do songs like that too that will never happen <laughs> those not, 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 nothing will come from that no no but <laughs> but um me me as a producer listening to a whole bunch of songs people pitching me songs a lot of times it, it's easy to see those things you know it's like we were talking to to dallas davidson and you know and um and the luke Bryan, um you know hunting fishing loving every day I said, y'all didn't write that to a track, did you? And he goes, oh, no, no. I mean, you, you can pick those out now sometimes because they're so prominent now. And mm-hmm. But you know what, man? Some guys do it so well that it's addicting, you know, when you hear some of these tracks. Oh, know? yeah, no. There's definite, definite music hooks in them and, a, and definite sounds that have become popular people want to hear. Yeah. You know? Well, and, I think guys like you are, you know, when you're thrown in a room with those guys, I think it's been. It's I think it's very beneficial for them because it's adding one more thing to that to that you know simplicity that they're used to writing with. Mm. You know that deeper lyric, that that different melody. Having a melody guy in there with a the track guy, I think is 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 gold. Yeah. But when you just have young lyric guys, it's hard to kind of it's hard to kind of come out of there with what you need. Yeah, and I I mean yeah I mean and, but man, there's some really good. There's some really good young guys in town too, yeah. and, and 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 that goes to and what we're doing now. The 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 next generation of guys, the the Kane Brown, the Luke Combs, this whole new kind of generation of coming up, man. Uh, are are you feeling like that they're getting back to small town America a little better now? Because we were kind of getting away from it a little bit. There's a few guys that that are doing some good, some really good country stuff, and for me, it's almost like. Um, the new guys coming up, it's like it's split, country split right down the middle, you know, because like you have like, to me, like the middle would kind of be Jason and Luke Bryan and Kenny and Tim. That's kind of the middle. And, I, you know, maybe there's a handful of guys still trying to do that, but it seems like the young guys, it's kind of split off to either real pop yeah, or back more country. Yeah, you got Walker Hayes and then you got Luke Combs. Yeah. And or boy, you got that's, like John Party. Yeah, and John Party. You Martin. know, and those are yin and yangs. Yeah, three yin and yangs. Yeah. Actually, you know, it's a rock, country, and a, and a pop influence, and they all three fit in our format. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, but that's what's so great about our format that people seem to overlook is how diverse it is. You know, and for us too, it keeps. You know, it's actually nice as a songwriter to get to mix it up every day. I don't have to try to write a '90s country song every day. I can go off and write. 
a super pop song with somebody and then i can write something right down the middle and then i can write some something really country you know it's it's uh, it keeps us fresh too getting to bounce around and do different things every day so yeah well that's cool awesome okay thank you yeah hey man i appreciate it rodney thank you for coming man knox country Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Knox Country Podcast. Special thanks go out to co-host Mr. Lacey Griffin and producer Donnie Walker. See you next time. You've entered Knox Country Outtakes. Am I the only one that cussed all day? No. Brandon Kenny. I don't know if that makes you feel any better. Oh, yeah. Brandon Brandon. Kenny remembered 20 minutes in the interview he couldn't cuss. (laughs) (laughs) No, man. You're going to shut that in the damn buzz. going to come back. <laughs> I know. I was like, well, it's working. We might as well leave it open. So. Like, we're wasting our time. You're wasting your time listening to Knox Country 360. <laughs> Don't get caught. Like Why me. did I do this? I'm calling my agent. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say anything bad because you'll like you'll bring it up in the in the future, man. No, we'll just we'll just play it on air. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Knox Country Podcast Edition.